Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 425th show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is Christina Shutt, Executive Director of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum. Uh, Ms. Shutt has taken the time out of her busy schedule to talk to us about State of Sound, a world of music from Illinois. The history buffs for today's show are Jay Swords and Ed Broders. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. And our producer and engineer is, as always, Dave Baker. First, we'd like to welcome to our show Miss Christina Shutt. Welcome, Christine. Oh, thanks for having me today. It's great to be with you. We call this first segment History is Local, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So, can you start us off with some basic information on the history of music in Illinois? Well, that's a big topic, uh, as you know. Um, But one of the things that I think is so amazing to me about Illinois history, especially as it relates to music, is its rich diversity and variety. Um, You know, we have everything from folk to jazz to blues to gospel to house music. Uh, You name it, Illinois is represented as part of that. And I think that is um, pretty unique uh, for our state, but also um, something that really helps to illuminate the rich impact um, that Illinoisans have had on not just the sort of local or the kind of regional scene, but really on the national scene. Okay, well then let's let's try and um, narrow this down a little bit. What was there any source of music that kind of struck you? The, what was within your heart and say, wow, that's amazing. That's from Illinois. This is where I'm starting from and building from there. Yeah, so um, one of the things when people come and visit our State of Sound um, exhibition, which is on display until um, through kind of part of January of 2022, um, is it really starts with kind of gospel music. It starts with the music, um, we've chosen to start with the music of the church. And so someone like Mahalia Jackson, uh, and for me, that's a really iconic thing because I grew up, you know, while I'm not originally from Illinois, I grew up hearing her music, um, you know, through recordings and through programs that uh, my family and my grandmother, who's a huge Mahalia Jackson fan, um, would play in our home. And so, you know, being able to start with those kind of roots and, and really explore out from there, uh, you know, to look at uh, people and um, bands such as like Curtis Mayfield and Willie Dixon, um, you know, even to think about individuals like Benny Goodman, right? Um, and to see how music has expanded and changed and developed, but how many of those roots that, that we have go back to sort of the humblest roots, right? Um, we didn't just start with sort of rock bands and rock performances, but it started with people really trying to connect um, to each other. Uh, and in the case of gospel music, connect with sort of a, a sense of spiritualness, right, um, as a way to to understand, um, to grow. So I think that is kind of unique and kind of different for me. Okay. Um, were there, we obviously know of, like, in Chicago, uh, you had this massive attraction there after World War 
one and two to go record for such great uh, artists. You said like Willie Dixon, Howlin' Wolf, um, and others. Were there other areas or communities within Illinois that attracted artists to say, hey, there was a, a studio where you could record music, uh, regional music of the state, and try to you know make money off of it and get the word out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if we think about our own history of, you know, the Shore Music Company, so you think about something like a microphone um, and being able to record sound into something, right? right? What we're doing today, um, you know, Shore really starts back in the 1925, I believe, um, is when Shore starts. And it starts as this, um, you know, company that's developing um, sort of uh, sound developing microphones and those have changed over the years, right? Um, so I think that's a great example. I think that uh, looking at you know groups that came from like Dan Fogelberg, who comes from Peoria, Illinois, so not a not a big city like Chicago that we think about clubs and uh, places that people perform at, right? Um, he comes from a, a smaller town in Illinois, and. You know, he really um, encapsulates that Southern, Southern California folk rock scene um, really well, right? Um, and he's changing that and hearing those sounds, but also evolving the music um, into something that's new and different. Uh, even looking at, you know, our modern day kind of house bands and the idea of a house party or a house band that's performing at people's homes and, and remixing. So they're taking, um, you know, the, the sounds that we hear now and then remixing them and replaying them into dance beats. Um, those weren't always happening in these kind of big, big cities or big towns or happening in people's homes. Okay. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, so would you please stay tuned for the next segment of our show? This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. It's easy for nonprofit church or service organizations in the Quad Cities to announce their upcoming events to the KALA audience by submitting a public service announcement today. We need information from you at least two weeks in advance. Visit KALAFM.org for all the details. Tell us the who, what, when, where, and why. Email KALA anytime at KALA at SAU.edu. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. And historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today's show is Ms. Christine Ashut, Executive Director of Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. And we're talking about State of Sound, a world of music from Illinois. Our history buffs for today's show are Jay Swords and Ed Broders and Jay... Why don't you start us off with this first question? All right, Christine, when I think of the first time I can remember actively thinking about Illinois music rather than music music um, was watching the Blues Brothers with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. <laughs> Great film. Right. And, and so for me, blues is always the first thing that comes to mind when I think about Illinois music. So if I come to your exhibit, what am I going to see uh, that interacts with blues music? 
Well, I think you'll see um, things like Buddy Guy's uh, signature, you know, polka dot Fender Stratocaster, <laughs> um, which, you know, is that sort of blend of that blues and rock and and um you know you'll see objects like that on display you'll see um things that are really illuminating for people um the the blues genre so one of the um one of the things we have on display is there was a, a sort of blues magazine um that gets developed uh, where they're, again, producing, talking about these artists, they're writing um, and doing articles about the hot trends, about um, the things that are changing. You'll see things like, um, again, like Mahalia Jackson, who we don't always think about as, you know, sort of a singing the blues we think about as more of a, a gospel genre, but, you know, has elements and notes of blues within her work. Do you have the desk where John Belushi is getting hit by the nun and the stick? <laughs> I would go to the museum just to see that. <laughs> we don't. You know, I tell you, you know, I always wanted, I always thought it'd be cool if we could recreate the scene where um, they're dancing out in the street. That was always my favorite scene oh, yeah. as a kid, uh, watching them do that. <laughs> I always wanted to learn. That's how I learned how to dance, right? Watching the Blues Brothers oh, and, you know, intro. see them doing the mashed potatoes. Yeah, no joke. Ed. Yes, Christine, um, if I come to see the exhibit, um, I know that you've mentioned there's a variety of influences historically on music in Illinois. Um, What am I going to see that's going to surprise me the most? Oh, gosh, that's tough. Um, Well, maybe Carl Sandburg. Um, I think a lot of people, especially who come to our museum, think of Carl Sandburg as, you know, the Lincoln historian. Um, and they don't also realize that he was a musician as well. Um, and so when you see Carl Sandburg's guitar on display, I know that's what? something that people are often surprised by. Yeah, that would be. Um, a question back to the state of Illinois. Because it is so very long, and the southern tip of Illinois near Kentucky has got a lot of cultural difference between uh, the north, um, eastern, or western part. Are there certain regions of the state where you had a sound that came out of it that was totally kind of contrasting to others in its own unique artistic way? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I think about um, the work of maybe like Fallout Boy, um, who are from sort of Wilmette, Illinois, and you know, their sound um, and the rock sound that they produced was um, sort of very eclectic um, in terms of that sort of the power punk ballad sort of thing that they were doing in terms of mixing and blending sort of rock and hip hop work um, that was going together. And, you know, one of the things that we actually have on display, which um, related to Fall Out Boy, is the jacket and the shirt that was worn by Patrick Stump, um, the lead singer, when they filmed their video. Uh, and the cool thing about that, um, when as they were filming the, I believe it's Young Blood Chronicles was, was the video and the song, um, is that the fake blood that they used um, in that video was, like, whatever was in it was so sticky that it's 
literally like the shirt and the jacket are like <laughs> welded together. <laughs> um, so there's no way to display it without, you know, just the shirt or the jacket, right? So the sort of the fake blood thing, I think, is, again, it's very weird um, and different, but I think it's also very cool. And it, it encapsulates, um, you know, such a great time of the, sort of the early 2000s and the way in which people were thinking about music and, again, the blending, right, of rock and hip-hop genres. Yeah, so I'm gonna again go back to my uh, to my past. <laughs> um, I can remember going down to Peoria and watching Ario Speedwagon yep. when Ario Speedwagon was basically a garage band. Um, what kind of representation does more traditional rock or or harder rock? Uh, have because I think oftentimes that particular genre gets left out uh, in these kind of things for one reason or another. So do you have anything that kind of represents that? Oh, absolutely. Um, we have, you know, a number of guitars that are on display. Um, things from, you know, Rise Against, there's sort of hardcore rock um, guitars. <laughs> um, we have things like uh, musical albums um, on display um, that, that, people use or, or created. Um, so I think that's one of the ways. One of the neat things about the exhibit that you see when you come through is all of the great videos really highlighting um, these bands like REO Speedwagon, right, um, and showcasing items from them um, in a way that I think is really dynamic and different um, because it, it sort of blends and helps bring back those memories that you had, right, of them starting out as a garage band, but then obviously becoming uh, much bigger into a national and really international scene. Ed? Yes. Um, what about classical music? Uh, how is that presented in this, uh, and what's presented in this exhibit? Um, so, you know, in terms of classical music, um, one of the sort of classical instruments, but that, again, is used oftentimes in an, maybe an international music context is um, we have Sean um, Cleland's fiddle um, from the, the Drovers, which were a sort of touring Irish band. So it's a little bit right. different, right, than we think about the traditional classical music. But again, I think that's an unexpected thing. When people think about music, they think about, you know, microphones or guitars. And so to have a... Um, a fiddle, a violin, right? As part of um, as part of the collection of items, I think is unique and different, and helps tell that story, right? That um, that Illinois music isn't just one thing, but it's a whole lot of a bunch of different things. Okay, um, I have to ask this because this is who I truly think is one of the giants in all of music, and that is Miles Davis was from East St. Louis. And yes. uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's it. it I think it, personally, it's kind of a, it's a musical tragedy that people don't realize that East St. Louis had its own jazz sound that was very very prominent after World War One, and of course now a lot of those people like Miles Davis and others from St. Louis, East St. Louis, and Southern Illinois, they all were heading either to Chicago or to New York um, to try and you know. Uh, get their chops into record deals and other artists. Do you guys have a section on uh, Miles Davis and East St. Louis origins of jazz? Absolutely. You know, we couldn't do an exhibit on the state of sound without including Miles Davis. And 
we were so fortunate um, that um, that we were able to to, to get on loan um, his custom his red custom trumpet um, complete with the um, Ghirardinelli mouthpiece um, that was made for him and used in the 1980s. So I think it's just one of those again those iconic pieces that uh, a lot of our visitors instantly recognize when they come in. They see the trumpet in the case and they immediately walk over and are like. Oh, I figured. I wondered if that was Miles Davis's um, trumpet. So it's such a, a great way to tell his story and, again, to help people realize that, you know, that uh, where he was born was just an hour and a half, really, from from Springfield, Illinois, where the museum is. Right. Uh, just one quick note before I give it to Jay. His daughter, now I met, she's, um, she's about retiring, but if I recall, she was a school teacher in... She stayed in East St. Louis. When you've got the artifacts for the museum, did you go through the family through her? Because uh, I remember reading his biography years ago, and he was pretty close to her. And she did a lot of the because he died shortly afterwards after while I was reading it. But was she the person where you got a lot of this stuff from? Well, I'm not sure um, specifically on that trumpet, but I will say that a lot of the objects um, that we did find um, within the exhibit did come from um, people's loved ones. So whether it was their family member, um, you know, their um, child, so, you know, daughter, son, um, child, or whether it was their spouse. You know, one of my um, kind of favorite stories actually is that um, Dan, we have in the exhibit Dan Fogelberg's guitar. And um, that guitar has not left, had not left the, the home, uh, his home after his death. Um, the guitar hasn't been tuned after his death. It was exactly as it was, including the original strings um, that he played on. And his widow um, traveled a number of hours um, in order to meet our shippers to, to send us um, to send us that guitar um, so that it could be part of this exhibition. And along with that guitar, she also um, included a note that uh, his father uh, apparently had been a band leader. And so she included a note with the baton um, that his father had used as a band leader where, um, I don't know if you remember the Fogelberg song about um, about the band leader. Yeah, um, leader of the band, yeah. Yeah, leader of the band, thank you. Um, so he wrote that song about his dad. And so it's a note from his dad to him thanking him <laughs> um, and talking about that and that she included that was sort of an unexpected um an unexpected loan that she included with it. So, like I said, there are a number of things that that came from family members or came from the artists sort of personal homes and personal collections, which is I think it makes it all the more kind of special and meaningful um to be a part of it that way. Um Christine, we've done a lot of uh museums on our show over the years and it's always fascinating to me to to see how museums set up exhibits in order to make them as interactive as possible and, and to make it the, the best sort of uh, multi-sensory experience uh, for the people. So how did you guys set up your exhibit so that you could kind of capitalize on that sort of thing? Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. So we've thought about it in a kind of a variety of different fronts. So 
when uh, visitors walk into the museum, they will actually, before they step into the exhibit area, they will see large, um, really almost kind of mega-size um, speakers uh, that, uh, fun fact, they're actually playing sound, but it's at a almost um, such a quiet decibel that we can't really, we don't hear it. Um, but the micro, the kind of speakers are, are moving, you know. So if you think back to, again, those like rock concerts, right, you remember the speakers like, uh, like thumping, you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, we do. So you'll see that uh, immediately, right? It, the the first thing is you're walking into the gallery. Um, visitors get to get, grab a uh, a set of actually Sure headphones um, that they graciously, um, you know, um, gave us for this exhibit. Um, so they'll grab those headphones and they'll walk into the experience. And when they walk in, um, what you really step into is a kind of backstage uh, type of experience. So what's really fun about that is many of us, um, some of us have gotten the opportunity to go backstage at the conference, but many of our visitors haven't. And so they get to learn about all of these different artists, but learn about it from, again, a in an environment that feels like you're backstage. Um, you know, you take your headphone and you get to plug into videos that, again, we produced um, in-house using all sorts of footage um, through the years showcasing these different artists and these different genres. Um, and so you plug in and you get to hear sounds of Ario Speedwagon or Styx um, or Chicago, depending on what area um, of the exhibit that you're in. And then, of course, as... Um, one of my favorite areas where people get to plug in is actually our in-studio um, recording booth. So our incredible tech team built a um, essentially a recording studio inside of our museum exhibit. And we've had a number of radio stations and um, artists come and record and participate in our uh, State of Sound podcast, which people can find on Spotify, um, as well as a link to it on our website, presidentlincoln.illinois.com. Um, and so we've been doing interviews with folks, but people have also been live streaming from um, that studio um, or even performing in the studio, which has been lots of fun. And so, you know, while we have performances going on during the noontime hour or, or often on the weekends, um, people can, again, plug in, listen to that. And so here, um, I think it's a way to sort of take history off the page. We're always thinking about that, right? How do we take history from the page or from the wall and make it real and relatable to people? Um, so they get to hear those stories. And then, of course, as they exit um, the gallery, they, um, you know, hear sort of the crowd's cheer as if they were walking onto the front of the stage, um, which is super fun. And a lot of um, it. It's funny when, like, little kids walk through because they're not expecting it, and they hear the cheering and the applause, and they think, oh, I should bow um, <laughs> because people are cheering for me. So that's really fun. 15 seconds of their fame. Yeah, I love that. Ed. 15, yeah, 15 seconds of your fame. <laughs> Ed. Yeah, I, um, yeah, Christine, I, I, uh, I read some time ago that when Jane Addams opened Hall House in Chicago in the early part of the 20th century, I think... Within a mile and a half, there were 17 different languages spoken. Um, you know, so we've got immigrants from mostly all over Europe. But um, how, uh, uh, and one of the things people bring with them is, of course, their music. Um, is that part of the exhibit? Absolutely. So um, one of the groups that we feature is Sonas de Mexico, um, which was really formed in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago uh, back in 1994. 
and um, they are a um, kind of an ensemble group that really specializes um, in music from sort of uh, kind of a blend of different kind of styles um, from within Mexico. And, uh, of course, the sort of signature thing was the kind of traditional jawbone instrument. Um, I believe it's called a quijada. Uh, hope, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but it has this sort of buzzing rattle sound that's produced um, when you play it. And so um, that's one of the things that people get to see on display, as well as a Sonos de Mexico performance costume um, that they wear, wore with the sort of bolero tie and the, um, the sort of signature blue shirt. Um, so I think that's one way in which we've tried to capture for people, um, again, just that diversity, right, that um, Illinois music is not just one thing that you may walk in um, because you know about Wilco or about Chicago or um, about Sticks or Ario Speedwagon, but you walk out learning about, you know, Sonos de Mexico and the Drovers and the Buckinghams and other groups that maybe you didn't know as well. Uh, one person that is in that crowd, but she sure doesn't appear like the stereotypical but isn't Gretchen Wilson um, the country singer she's from southern Illinois isn't she I believe so yeah we actually feature in the exhibit um, Allison Krauss and so people get to see um, Allison Krauss and and actually if you drive um, through Springfield Illinois you'll see a giant poster of her um, on the side of our building again celebrating the exhibit and acknowledging um, her Illinois roots okay um it is customary for us to give our guests the last word on the show. Christine, why do you think knowing about the history of music in Illinois is so relevant in today's world? Well, I think for me, the, the relevancy of Illinois music is um, the relevance of our experience, right, as Americans. One of the things that people do with music is they help articulate that. They help argue, um, they help push for, um, they help articulate um, things that maybe are, are challenging to say in other ways, right, outside of musical means. I think about the work of uh, Common. We have, um, you know, his suit uh, that he wore at the 2015 Academy Awards on display uh, for, you know, during his performance of Glory. Um, and I think about that and the story of the, the Selma, um, the march through Selma. And, you know, there's, there's not a way to tell that story more powerfully than through music and through, through his words and his use of those words. Uh, and so that's what, that's what Illinois music does. That's what the music um, of the state does, is it, it helps us articulate our experience as humans, as citizens, as people um, in a community together. Okay. Jay, what, why do you think it's relevant? Uh, I think, again, we're, we're such a diverse state, and, and sometimes I think we're not really aware of how diverse we are. And I think uh, anything that, that does that, and music is one of those places where people show off their diversity. Um, you know, in the melting pot era, you had lots of people who were trying to Americanize themselves. But one of the things that never got Americanized were those cultural music um, 
styles and, and venues and places like that. You know, I may be trying to lose my Italian accent, but I'm still playing Italian music and whatever. And so I think having an exhibit, um, and I'm really excited, by the way, about the exhibit. The way you talk about it, I guess there's a road trip to Springfield in my future because it sounds <laughs> really cool. Um, and getting a chance to, to you know, have that, to, to celebrate that diversity, um, I don't think we can ever get enough of that. Agreed. Ed? Um, I, I, I think it's relevant um, because, I, um, because, as Jay says, because of the diversity. Um, but also, I generally think that you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've come from. Okay. Yeah, valid points. Absolutely. When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 425th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapdel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our guest, Christina Schutt, Executive Director of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, who talked with us about the state of sound. A world of music from Illinois. The history bus for today's show were Jay Swords and Ed Broders. This is ROI, relevant or irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. <laughs>